Welcome into Magic Weekly, Tuesday, December 29th. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. A 3-0 start for the Magic with a win over the Miami Heat on opening night. Two wins in Washington over the weekend, and now it's off to Oklahoma for a matchup with the Thunder, and then we'll see the Sixers on New Year's Eve back home here at the Amway Center. My guest this week has two decades of NBA front office experience, including five seasons as general manager of the Brooklyn Nets. ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks joins me this week on Magic Weekly. Great follow on Twitter, by the way, at BobbyMarks42. Bobby, how long has it been now that you've been with ESPN? It feels like it's been a couple of years, yeah? You know, it's funny. I, it feels like I've been out of the NBA forever. <laughs> I think my last season, well, I had a, a little bit of a stop with Yahoo uh, for about a year and a half, two years, but my last NBA season was 2014-15, and uh, this is year four for me um, with, uh, with ESPN. That's interesting perspective. Can you just touch on how much things have changed in, in five years? I mean, it feels like 2020 feels like it was about five years, five years but, but things have changed quite a bit across the league over the last couple of seasons, haven't they? Um, I mean, not even taking in, into consideration what teams are going through with the whole, you know, with COVID and yeah. testing and the protocols. I mean, we, we didn't have to, I mean, we just had to make sure our guys got to shoot around on time <laughs> and to the bus on time and to the plane. And yeah, I mean, we've seen, um, we've seen things change, um, you know, since, since I was in a league in 14, 15, um, you know, from a new CBA that came into place in, in 2017, how teams have built their rosters more on um, the shorter term contracts to give themselves some flexibility long-term Um they're still playing, you know, basketball is still the same, but you know, we go from the traditional bigs to, you know, everybody can kind of play different, you know, positions. Um, you know, I guess we go, we call it positionless NBA. So yeah, there's been some, certainly been some, the analytics has, you know, certainly gone through, gone through the roof here. So there, there has been some change, um, you know, over the last four or five years here. When you've watched the first week of the season, uh, we'll start with some general NBA questions here. I think it, it's felt a lot closer to pick up ball to my untrained eyes um, as I've watched. And Steve Clifford actually touched on it over the weekend about how there just hasn't been time to fine tune anything in practice, especially when you're talking about defensive coverages. Um, training camp was basically just a bunch of five on five, making sure players had their wind. You just didn't have enough time uh, to install much and, and really to fine tune everything. And then for the magic specifically, we don't have two days off between games uh, until the beginning of February. So you don't have much practice time at all to sort of nail down concepts and things like that. Is it, does it feel like it's been sloppy play across the league? And is this just another challenge uh, in a year and in a season that's had and, and, and will certainly have plenty more challenges? Are you, are, are you kind of seeing that? Yeah, I think, you know, Rick Carlisle made a, Rick Carlisle in Dallas made a good point. I mean, the Mavericks had been, had been in LA and they weren't even allowed to hold a team meeting because of right. you know, the restrictions in the, in the hotel. And uh, it does seem like some of the, you know, Lakers have played, I think their first four games have been home. The Heat haven't played since um, Christmas day. So the teams that played later in the season have gotten a little bit more of a, more of a break, but yeah, it feels like the, the play in the bubble um, was a little bit more, um, was a little better than what we're seeing right now. I mean, um, you know, the condensed training camp of two weeks, you know, basically had, what, three or four days just to play five on five before you started to practice. So we are in an extended um, preseason. Guys are still trying to get in shape. I mean, I watched um, Utah, Oklahoma City, um, 
you know, on Monday night. And, you know, by the end of the game, I mean, Donovan Mitchell was exhausted. <laughs> I mean, he was, um, you know, he was real, his wind was, you know, was not, was not good. So I think you, I think you have to kind of um, observe. I don't think you need, you have to rush to, um, you know, um, decisions as far as where your roster is. I always say, you know, give it at the 20 game mark to kind of see where, where you are here. But yeah, it does seem like, um, the play is lacking a little bit. And, and I think just because of we've got, I mean, look at the guys who've gotten drafted. I mean, players got drafted on November 18th. Mm. Um, there was no summer league. There was no um, off, really no off season for them. And now we're throwing them, you know, throwing them into the, into the fire a little bit to see if, um, you know, kind of sink or swim here. So um, it's going to be a learning process here, um, but we will get to a point of the season where, you know, if you're, some of these contending teams where if you're playing below 500 um, you will have to pick it up a little bit. It's a good transition, I think, into the magic because one of the things the magic had going for them coming back into this season was continuity. Um, You've got a lot of players who are very familiar with each other. And at the very least, I think early on in a season like this, it, it probably helps quite a bit to look next to you, look down the bench, look next to you on defense and know, uh, know who it is who's, who's playing next to you. That continuity and, um, and, and, and that familiarity, I think, has played a big role in the Magic's 3-0 and start. What have you seen so far? Obviously, Terrence Ross and, and Markel Fultz have sort of led the charge. Um, but when you look at this Magic team, I don't think anybody expects them to go 72-0. and But do, do you see some signs that this could be sustainable um, throughout the year? Oh, I do. And I think you hit it right on the head when you said the continuity factor, when you have, you know, Steve Clifford, you know, in what year two here um, and, um, or year three, I believe with Cliff and yeah, year three. you basically bring back the whole roster. I mean, you added, you know, Cole in the draft and, you know, um, you know, Dwayne Bacon in um, who Cliff coached in Charlotte. Um, you're healthy. Um, you know, for the most part, I know you've got some, you know, with, with Jonathan, Jonathan Isaac out and um, uh, Al Farouk Amino out. Um, but you kind of just can continue where you left off in, um, in July and, and um, you know, early, early August here. And that helps. I mean, we're seeing it in Cleveland, too. I mean, the Cavaliers are off to a 3-0 and start, and they didn't make many overhaul changes um, to that roster. And they basically have, you know, what – with Sexton and Garland playing at a high level. And I think a lot of it is the trust level. I mean, you get, um, you know, you're down big in Washington in your, in your third game and you go on a 43, 19 run, I think in that fourth quarter. Yep. Um, I don't know if you can do that if you've got a lot of different faces on that roster and you're still trying to, to, to figure it out. And, you know, the good thing with this group is they all know their roles. Like Terrence knows his role. Uh, he can start him if you need to, but you know, he's a sixth man. Um, he, he knows, you know, that you need points from him coming off the bench, you know, Mark, Markel, um, where he is right now, uh, I think just from a confidence level, I mean, the Markel Fultz trade from Philadelphia will probably go down as one of the best trades, you know, Orlando has made based on what you had, you I mean, basically little, how little you had to give up sure. to get him. And now you get a starting point guard and he's under contract, uh, not only this year, but for the next um, three seasons. And you've got, you know, Nick back and Aaron, Aaron's back and Evan has played, uh, you know, at a, at a, at a good clip too. And, um, but yeah, the continuity factor is huge. And like, I, I understand we're in a position in the media where we give predictions and we say, you know, these are the top teams in the Eastern conference, but 
once you start stringing along some games here, you know, you go from a team, well, you know, we think Orlando is the ninth, is a playing team, the ninth or 10th best team. And all of a sudden you look at the standings and wait a minute, well, they're like 10 and three, like, where did this come from? And then you start to take them a little bit seriously here. So we'll see what the next couple of weeks, um, you know, come, come about. I mean, I saw it in, in New Jersey in, in 2001, 2002, when we got Jason Kidd, nobody was pr- predicting the nets to do anything. Mm. And then you look up in the standings, you're 15 and five and you got a five game lead, <laughs> you know? So I think if you can string along some games, you know, the big thing is not to get on one of these, you know, three game, four game losing streaks here. Um, you know, that will keep this Orlando team, not just in a, not just fighting to get into, to the playoffs, but, you know, a team that maybe can contend for, you know, top five, top six in the Eastern Conference. It's an interesting sort of tangent that, that I'd like your take on. Um, it seemed like the prevailing wisdom for a long time was, you know, you, you can't get trapped in NBA purgatory. You're either coming yeah. or you're going, right? And, and then a lot of times you end up with a roster full of young guys and no veterans to teach them um, what the what the game is like, how to do the day to day, and how to make it through an 82 or a 72 game season. Whereas it it looks like, anyways, the the best way to do it is to have that balance. Have young players that represent the future, like Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, um, Cole Anthony, now Chumo Kiki. But then to have the Nick Vucevic, the Aaron Gordon, and who's by the way still 25 years old uh, in his <laughs> seventh season, Evan Fournier. You, you got to have that balance, don't you? Oh, you sure do. I mean, I think. You know, when Orlando lost in the, um, in the first round to Milwaukee, um, you know, second consecutive year um, losing in the, in the playoffs after not being there for a long time, you know, you hear that, well, maybe we need people saying, well, the end team is kind of, you know, it's a, they're stuck in mud, right? They're kind of on that treadmill of mediocrity. They're always going to be an eight seed. They're always going to get bumped out in the first round. Let's just tear it down, right? I, and I, and I, I hear that and I say, wait a minute, you know how hard, hard it is and you know this when you tear it down. Right how to build it back up. I mean, you got to hit a lottery ticket in the, in the draft and get a real fortunate here. And I think you can have that right balance of young players with Fultz and Isaac, Cole, Anthony, Chuma. Um, and then you have, you have some veterans with, you know, certainly with Nick, um, you know, I, I guess we can call Evan and Aaron veterans, even though they're still in their, the prime of their, their career here. Right. And, all you need to do is catch a couple breaks here and there, but I, the hardest thing to do is just ripping a roster down and then building it, building it back up. Because as I saw in New Jersey, what happens is after year three of trying to build it back up, you just kind of wave the white flag, right? Like, you know, we can't, um, we can, we can't do it anymore. And I understand if you're, you know, if you're getting to the playoffs eight years in a row with the same roster and you're losing in the first round. Yeah. Is there time for maybe, maybe to change? Yeah. But um, and I wrote about it when the, when the Magic were um, eliminated against the, the Bucks in the offseason article is that you got to kind of take a deep breath and really evaluate where your roster is and how young it is. I mean, we haven't even talked about you know Mobamba, right? And we'll see what happens with him, you know, during uh, during the course of this year. But yeah, if you're going to have and and, and the, you know everyone throws around the word oh player development, right? Yeah, you can have a you can have veterans on your roster and still have player development, right? There's not you know you don't have to have a bunch of you know 20, 21 year olds um, on, on that group and just say you know hey we're going to do focus on player development. No, you can have that balance of, of both uh, there. 
Yeah, eventually you end up as the Phoenix Suns and you're going, we've got this superstar player in Devin Booker, but we can't get him into the postseason because we don't have any veterans around him. And you end up making a move for a guy like Chris Paul. Let's go back to Markel, Bobby, because uh, I'd love your take on, on what you're seeing. I know it's just three games, but he does seem like he's got a new level of confidence. One of the things I've noticed is, look, the, the Philadelphia thing, I mean, he exercised those demons last year, but he's much more willing – to pull on three-pointers, the percentages are still down, but he's at least willing to shoot them when guys go under screens. So I think that's a, a, a big step. But the free throws, and granted, it's a very small sample size, um, but he's shooting over 90% from the free throw line. Um, I, I think probably Steve Clifford would like to see him up around five, six attempts a game uh, over the course of the season. If he, can, if he can get to that level, that would be a big step. But just having the confidence, it seems like, because we know with his athleticism and with his frame, when he gets into the paint and he creates that contact on his own and he doesn't fear walking to the free throw line, like that's a huge step in his game. Um, what have you seen from him so far this year? And if he is able to keep, he shot 72% from the free throw line last year. If he's able to get that up over 80% and he's shooting five, six attempts a game, uh, what a difference is that going to make? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's similar, and I'm, I'm not willing to put him up there in, in Trey Young level getting to the free throw line, but you look at the, 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 the Atlanta-Detroit um, game, I mean, Trey, got, Trey got, what, got to the line, what, 15, 16 times, yeah. right? I mean, if you can get there, I mean, we're not, we're not going to get there, but if you can get there, you know, six to eight times a game and you're making 90% out of clip, I mean, that is – um, that's a bonus for you. I, I think my, my, my one concern, and you're right, he did exercise um, the, the demons kind of last year and, and, and his overall play. My one concern with, with Markel coming into this year was, okay, DJ's in Milwaukee now. Um, you don't have that veteran insurance um, policy that maybe you did in case he did falter. You did bring back Michael and, and you added Cole. And those two have played, I thought, played well, you know, giving you some bench support here. Yep. How is he going to adjust if he stumbles a little bit? He, and he hasn't. Um, and I think, you know, certainly the extension helps, you know, when you know that you have an organization that has faith in you and is willing to lock up, you know, in, in, with good money here. Um, and the confidence level um, in that, um, that Washington game in the fourth quarter um, to be able to kind of lead. I mean, that's the most important position on the, on the court is your, is your point guard here. Uh, and that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you did hit it right on the head as far as the ability to kind of get I mean, when you go from 72% to 90%, um, you know, that's no, that's no coincidence that he has, you know, certainly worked on that in the off season. What did you think about the Isaac extension? I think the Fultz, the Fultz one was kind of a, it, it, it was pretty simple. Even if, you know, heading into the season, we didn't know Markel was going to play this well. And we still don't know if he's able to sustain, you know, 20 plus points a game uh, and the way he's played through three games. Uh, but the Isaac one, I think there's, a, there's certainly some more inherent risk when you look at, at Jonathan's injury history. But then there's also, I think, heading into this season and, and when both guys put pen to paper, you had seen that, that Jonathan Isaac could play um, an elite level of defense, like a, a defensive player of the year type of defense, um, at least in small doses. What was your reaction to, to the Isaac extension, I guess, as opposed to, to the Markel deal? Yeah, I mean, I think with, um, with Jonathan, um, you know, it, did it catch him off guard? Not really. I mean, um, you, know, you know, with a guy coming off an ACL, it is a lot easier for people within that organization that have the medicals and have seen him every day rehabbing um, 
has a, they have a relationship with the, you know, certainly with their doctors and have a confidence level that he is going to come back and, and, and return here. Um, you know, there is some protection, you know, in the contract for, with the magic, as far as with the, with, with the knee um, from an, in, from an injury standpoint here. Um, but as you said, you know, pre-injury, you know, Jonathan Isaac was playing at an all NBA type level, you know, from a, from a defensive standpoint here. And it's a, you know, it's a little bit North of $17 million. Um, you know, the, the naysayers would have said, well, there wasn't going to be anybody out there on an uh, offer sheet. We don't know that. Um, you know, you're basically using the information that you have now that you would have next year. Jonathan would not have played a game when he signed that contract in the, uh, in the summer off season of 2021 here. So you lock up, you know, two of your, um, your young players, um, you know, for the foreseeable future on three and four year, four year contracts. So, um, so I understand the logic from Orlando as far as how they proceeded with, uh, with Jonathan. Is that something as, as somebody who was in Brooklyn, um, but also somebody who was in New Jersey, which I think is probably a little bit different, of, uh, of, of kind of a picture to paint when you're Orlando, when you're a smaller market team, is it, is there more of an imperative, uh, to lock down your guys because you just assume you're going to have to pay a bit of a tax see Detroit, uh, if you're going to go out there and try to make a splash in the free agent market. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, um, draft and develop, right. When you're, when you're some kind of, um, you know, these kind of mid market teams kind of similar to what, um, you know, San Antonio has been able to San Antonio is doing right now, right? right? They're kind of trying to kind of retool that roster and keep, you know, with uh, DeMar DeRozan and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, and then also have a, a, a bunch of young players to kind of, um, you know, they drafted, they developed, now they're playing at a, at a pretty good, uh, pretty good level here. But yeah, I mean, when you, and, that, and that's the one thing, you know, when, when you're talking about in New Jersey, when, when we had success in New Jersey with Kidd and Kenny Martin and Richard Jefferson and, and that group, then Vince Carter came in, um, you know, we didn't have that young next young core of players to come in because he had missed out on some draft picks. Mm. And so when your older players, when your older players start to tail off or they've, you know, asked to be, to be traded and you're waiting for that next line to come up, you don't have that. And I think that's why it's so important that you've got to hit on your draft picks or acquire, you know, young players in trades and then have them to be your kind of face of your franchise down, down the road, because, you know, eventually Nick Vucevic going to get older and his contract's going to expire. And we'll see what happens with Terrence Ross and uh, Al Farouk Aminu, you know, player uh, Evan Fournier is a, you know, a, it's a free agent this off season here. So, it is huge um, when you can, um, you know, when you can, when you can draft these players and then they can become part of your rotation. I've got a couple more for you before I let you go. I really appreciate the time. Bobby Marks uh, from ESPN with me. You mentioned Mo Bamba. It's still, look, injuries have been a big issue. Um, you see in flashes. I mean, if you want to get into the, to the block shots per 36 minutes and, and, and the jumper is uh, pure for a guy his size, but just getting on the floor and staying on the floor has been an issue. Um, what do you think, like, what could this season represent for him? Is there still, you know, it, you just can't develop without playing NBA games. I mean, you can only do so much in practice and especially, you know, this COVID thing, it took his wind away from him. He just got cleared for full contact um, about a week and a half ago. So if you're the organization, how are you sort of moving forward with them? Um, and what have you seen in, in, I guess, in the small 
uh, the small doses that you have seen him on the floor, um, that might give you some, some optimism moving forward. Yeah, and he's hurt too a little bit. You know, we'll see what happens with um, the G League. It's not like they can send him down to, um, you know, to Lakeland right. um, to play. Um, you know, the, looks like they're going to go within, within a bubble also. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, he was impacted certainly by, you know, with COVID this, uh, in, in the summer. Um, you know, he's, he's just kind of rounding the, the corner here. I never want to give up on, you know, players in their early twenties um, that has the potential like him, um, you know, but he is in year, um, you know, I believe he's in year three, right. Yeah, of his, three, um, yep. You know, of his, of, yeah, of his contract. Um, and it's kind of like, are we behind the eight ball? Yeah. You know, do you have Kem and uh, Nick in front of him? Yeah. Um, but this is also a player that you drafted in, you know, in the top, you know, seven, eight, uh, in, in the draft here. So it's going to be a little bit of, um, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, with practice time, um, you are going to be um, restricted here. So can you, can you find him 10 minutes? Can you find him 10 minutes to 12 minutes a game? And just just kind of build him up during the, um, during the year. I think the big thing is that you have to look at him where he is now and then where he, will he be in mid May, you know, when the season's mm-hmm. over or June, when you're done playing and, and has he gotten better, um, from from there and, and for him it's important that you know to keep to keep his confidence here so um, it is going to be interesting to follow um, as far as can he get can he crack that that rotation it's 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 going it's going to be interesting you know it really is as far as how Cliff plays these guys and as we know uh, fan bases and media members are very patient with, with, with top 10 <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know yeah, and it's funny, like, you know, guys like um, – I always use Damari Carroll as a good, as a good example. You know, mm. and Damari was picked in the late 20s. Um, Damari was cast aside um, in his first three years in the league, and, you know, he was a, considered a bust. And Damari had turned out to have a, a pretty nice career, you know, certainly in Atlanta, and then he went to Brooklyn, and um, he was in Toronto and, and stayed around a lot. So just because they have not developed has, as the fans like to see and – um, by year three, there is that patience level. I mean, look where Markel was, right, at year two or year three. Um, you know, we all thought he was a bust and he, was, he would be out of the league and he'd be a backup point guard at best. And now um, this is kind of where he is. One of the things with Markel that I keep going back to is point guards always take a long time to develop. Um, look at Lowry and, um, and, and some of these guys around the league. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys who peak, you know, seven, eight years in. And for some guys, it just takes that long to learn the league and learn how to run a team. No, it, it, I mean, especially, um, especially the situation that you go to. I always say that if you go to a situation where you're constantly changing over the coach, yeah. Um, that sets, you know, that sets you back a year, um, especially if you have a young, a young point guard, um, you know, there, and you know, that wasn't the case in, you know, with Philly and with, with Brett Brown and stuff, but now you go from Brett to, to, you know, to, to Cliff, um, you know, it is a, it is an adjustment here. And that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, the, the young, that's why, you know, you know, um, you know, Trey Jones gets drafted in, in the second round to San Antonio, but like, Hey, that's a great position for him. He's point guard. He's going to pop's going to be there. They've got stability within that, that organization here. But yeah, that's the biggest thing with some of these point guards is finding that team that has had that same coach and has not been, you know, turning it over every other year. 
Do you think Cliff is, uh, is undervalued around the league? I mean, on a night-to-night basis, you'll hear other coaches always give him his credit, but I'm not sure people appreciate what a, what a good game plan and kind of giving the answers to the test um, Cliff's able to do on a night-to-night basis. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, um, you know, what he's been able to do over the last couple of years, what he, what he did in, in Charlotte, um, you know, with some of those rosters um, there, um, I pro- we probably don't appreciate him much. I mean, there are a lot of good coaches in this league. They really I are. mean, that's the, that, that, the, I mean, it's amazing how deep of field. And when you get to the point where you got to vote for coach of the year, it's kind of like just throwing darts against the, the board because there's so many good ones out there, but um, you know that his teams are going to play defense. Uh, they are going to be well prepared. Um, they are not going to let go of the rope. I think as I you know, keep on going back to that fourth quarter in Washington on uh, over the weekend, um, that was kind of a you know a, um, you know a blueprint of uh, you know how how Steve has his guys playing. Last thing, Bobby, and I appreciate the time. I've already kept it too long. But as you look around the league, I mean, we talk about Cleveland jumping out to a 3-0 and start. Um, the Hawks look like they're just going to score 140 points a night um, eventually. I mean, I we played the Hawks twice in the preseason, and I said, this team can put out lineups of shooters like I've never seen before. Um, what, what kind of surprise teams around the league do you think can keep it up? Can Atlanta sustain it and be a top-four team in the Eastern Conference? I don't know about top four team. Um, they, their depth, though, you know, yeah. we've all talked about Brooklyn's depth, but when you look at, you know, what they, they were able, you know, you've got Rondo coming off the bench. You've got Bogdanovic coming off the bench. Gallinari has been hurt the last couple of games. Solomon Hill's played really well um, for them. Kevin Harder is, has played well. So you can go, you know, nine, 10 deep with that, um, that Atlanta team. And if Trey's playing like at an MVP level, um, they're going to be, they're going to be a tough out. I think the one team that we probably don't give enough credit to, and it's based on them losing in the first round consecutively over the last four or five years is Indiana, Mm. Um, you know, with a new coach. um, But when you've got a healthy Sabonis uh, who just, you know, won player of the week in the East, um, you've got, if Victor can play like Victor pre-injury, uh, and then you've got Brogdon and, and uh, TJ Warren and then Miles Turner. Uh, their bench is a little bit thin. They only go about eight deep. Um, that's a team if, that if they can stay healthy um, will probably surprise a lot, of, uh, a lot of people. But, yeah, I mean, we all thought the Western Conference was so deep. The Eastern Conference was top six heavy. Um, but I think you're starting to show that there are some teams besides the Brooklyn's, Boston's, Milwaukee's, you know, Toronto's of the world – that can potentially, you know, sneak in here into that top six, top seven. Yeah, Victor's shooting sixty-five percent from the field. I don't think he'll keep that up. Yeah, but. and he and he did not play well, and he did not play well in the Orlando bubble. You know, he really right. did not, and that was the big X factor, right? Can Victor return pre, um, you know, pre-injury? You know, coming off that uh, injury, and that's that is a huge wild card. If 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 he can play like that, um, that's a team that's going to be in the top five here in the East. He's the great Bobby Marks. You see him on ESPN. You follow him on Twitter. And if you don't do, it's at Bobby Marks 42. Uh, Bobby, this has been great. Thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. And happy new year. I appreciate it. Thank you. You too. All right. There he is, Bobby Marks. My name is Jake Chapman. I'm on Twitter as well. It's at Jake Chapman OM. Thanks so much for listening this week. We'll be back in 2021. Have a great New Year's, everybody. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you next week.